All right, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of Empire. We got Santi joining us. He's drinking this like fancy kombucha, hot chocolate, healthy drink. Like uh, he's really trying to stay afloat over here. Um, and then we, we're uh, we're also joined by Fubar. So Fubar and Santi, welcome to the show, guys. Hey, hey, Jason. Great to be here. Hey, thanks for having me. Yeah, of course, Fubar. Uh, welcome to Empire for the first time, Santi. What are you? Uh, what are you drinking over there? It's like a collagen with like collagen protein, with like chocolate flavored in a Hogwarts mug. So, um, using all the, (laughs) (laughs) we got it. It's been a, I don't know about you guys. Uh, I'm curious how much sleep you're getting. Um, and what are you doing to like stay, stay kind of focused, uh, in your lane? I will, (laughs) I will admit, I'm really happy that the camera's pointed like right here, right now, my office is messier than I think it's ever been in my entire life. You can't see my floor. My, my wife would be very embarrassed that I'm admitting this uh, on the podcast, but you literally can't see my floor. <laughs> there are so many clothes on the floor right now. So it's, uh, I think that yeah. tells you kind of how, how, how my week is going. Yeah. We do, we do lots of feast and famine. There are weeks where nothing happens and then hours where months happen. So <laughs> I think the best you can do is just try to make, for, make up for it elsewhere. Yeah, exactly. Stuff cools down. Exactly. So, um, all right. We're obviously talking about FTX, and we're um. All right. Let me let me timestamp this actually because we're everything's happening so quickly right now in crypto. So it's Wednesday, November sixteenth. It's two fifteen in the afternoon, two fifteen Eastern. Um, I think this episode will probably come out later on Wednesday or maybe Thursday morning. So I just want to timestamp that. Um, right now, I think the biggest thing that's happening is Genesis is Genesis pause, pause withdrawals. And that's impacted a bunch of CFI platforms, the biggest one being being Gemini. So I think the best place to start would be would be with Gemini. Fubar, do you, uh, I, I wrote this thread that's been doing pretty well on Twitter, just kind of explaining it so I can walk through Genesis or Fubar, I don't know if you wanted to kind of take what's happening as well. Sure thing. Um, I'm probably better updated on the on the general situation than the details of what's been going on with Genesis today but it does it does seem like obviously ftx went under uh, they were a premier institutional custodian for a lot of protocols companies other exchanges even and so we've seen cascading effects come from that of figuring out figuring out whose balance sheet had exposure genesis obviously very large lender in the space um seems like they they've organized some calls today with um, with with top people to discuss the details of the situation. I haven't been privy to exactly what they said in those, but it does seem to be a concerning sign. Yeah. Yeah, me... they sent me... Go, go ahead, Santi. I wasn't part of the call. I, I didn't want to join, but I did get the invite. Um, but there was a... I mean, I think people fairly summarized. It was like a fairly short seven-minute call. Um, you know, and saying that basically anyone that has used kind of uh, their lending platform is impacted, although some of their operations remain unimpacted. So if you want to trade with them, sounds like that's operational. And I think that's like a, <clears throat> you know, I guess, I guess, Jason, I don't know if you want to go through like the, just a quick update of all the stuff yeah. that's going on. Cause there is a common denominator here of there are a couple of companies, a couple of programs within those companies that are impacted. But I think what we, it's best that we just cover it to the best of our ability in like the next five, six minutes. Yeah, let me, let me, let because there's a lot to, of fun. Let me try to walk through Genesis then. Because I think Why don't that's we just a helpful. Lay the background before we. Yeah, let me, let me lay the background for Genesis. All right. So basically, all right. So there's this guy, Barry Silbert. Barry Silbert started um, Second Market. Second Market uh, created markets like secondary markets around um, like less mainstream assets, essentially in, in, in financial markets. He get, he, he, discovers Bitcoin. Uh, he, they had a bunch of institutional clients at Second Market. In 2013, uh, Barry starts Genesis. Genesis was the first uh, the first OTC Bitcoin desk in 2013. Um, two years later, DCG, uh, Bar- Barry starts DCG, the first two companies in like the DCG, uh, DCG Digital Currency Group, Big Holding Group. The two first companies were Genesis, which was the big, uh, originally started as the big OTC desk then turned into the lending desk and like a trading desk. They acquired a custodian and some more folks uh, and then Grayscale. So those were the first two companies under the DCG uh, in the DCG portfolio. Now, Gen- now DCG, uh, they own Coindesk. 
They own Foundry, which is the largest U.S. mining company. They own Genesis. They own Grayscale. They acquired Luno, which is a consumer app. Uh, they also have a huge VC portfolio. They've invested in over 200 crypto companies. So they've basically built this like the standard oil of, uh, of crypto, essentially. Um, Genesis, since starting as, a, as an OTC Bitcoin desk in 2013, they've evolved uh, over the last eight, nine years. They are now crypto's largest lending desk. Uh, and one of the largest trading desks by far. So if you just look at some of the numbers from a year ago, um, at, at kind of the height of the market, like if you take a snapshot snapshot of their Q4 numbers, uh, they originated over $50 billion in loans. They had over $12.5 billion of active loans as of the end of last year, uh, $31 billion of, of spot volume traded, and $21 billion of derivatives uh, notional volume, tr volume traded. So just like moving absolute size, right? Then what happened uh, was Three Arrows. So Genesis was actually the biggest creditor to Three Arrows. They lent them $2.4 billion. Um, uh, Genesis then filed like a $1.2 billion claim against Three Arrows. DCG, again, the parent company of Genesis, stepped in. They assumed the $1.2 billion claim. So that left Genesis without any outstanding liabilities. So people were, you know, kind of trust. Uh, Genesis was able to regain some trust. But then... Uh, things continued to unravel over the summer. So Genesis actually had some pretty large exposure to Babel Finance. For those who don't know Babel, they're not as big in the States, but it's kind of like a BlockFi, um, BlockFi in Asia. Uh, they got hit really hard and they had some pretty large exposure to Babel. Then in August, uh, there's this guy, Michael Morrow, who's actually at Second Market with Barry back in the day. Barry tapped Michael Morrow in the early days of Genesis to become the CEO. So longtime CEO of Michael Morrow, he resigned, well, resigned, Got fired. Not really sure what happened there. Um, everyone I know on a personal note left, like VP of derivatives, VP of risk, like all my friends at Genesis, They within like a three week span, they all left. So that was in August. By Q3, their numbers had fallen drastically. So all those numbers in the beginning of this podcast, those had all fallen like 80%. Um, all right. So now let me get into the, the important part. Like why is the downfall of Genesis so bad? Basically, anytime you see a CeFi platform offering yield, so like Gemini's earn product or like, you know, you can earn 5% on BlockFi or like any of those products. Most of them use Genesis to help the, to that like Genesis is the earn product. So if you are a CeFi platform that offers yield, you probably use Genesis. And the way that it works is uh, you give your crypto to Gemini. So let's, let's use Gemini here. I have, I have five ETH. I give my, I give my, well, let's use, let's use more generalized things. I give my crypto to Gemini. Gemini gives my crypto to Genesis. Genesis gives my, that crypto to a fund. The fund borrows the crypto from Genesis at like, let's say, I'm going to make numbers up here, 6%. Genesis gives Gemini back 5%. So they make that extra 1%. And then Gemini passes on 4%. So the yield to, to the user. So voila, you now have, you now have yield in crypto. This, this whole system only works if um, if the counterparties that Genesis lent to can actually repay the borrow, right? So if Genesis can't actually get the crypto back, they can't give the crypto back to Gemini or to the CeFi platform, which means Gemini can't give you back your crypto. And Santi, it sounds like um, you might have been a user of Gemini. Mm -hmm. Like basically every whale that I know mm -hmm. uh, in crypto gives money to Gemini, to, uh, excuse me, to Genesis. Um, Mm -hmm. Instead of giving, like, if you're kind of a consumer, you you earn yield on BlockFi, maybe, or Gemini. If you are maybe more of an institutional player or a fund or a whale, you just give directly to Genesis to earn that yield. So a bunch of institutions, mm -hmm. family offices, big crypto whales, they can't get their crypto back today. And that, very long-winded mm -hmm. there, but that that is why Genesis halting withdrawals is so bad, is because they sit at the center of crypto's capital markets. They custody funds, they help institutions earn yield. They are the yield product for C5 platforms. So pretty long-winded. That's where we're at now. Santi, how did, uh, how did I do there? Yeah, it's really good. Um, like I never used them. I never lent them my coins. I purely used them to trade, um, mostly like stables. Um, so I have no exposure to them. Although I'm, I think your summary is fairly correct. Um, so just, just for context today, obviously, it, what has been percolating... There were suspicions that like Genesis was in a precarious situation. I think all of this, we have to remind, remind ourselves and just go back to a lot of it was, you know, funds chasing the sweet anchor yield of like 8%. Luna collapses and they're 
a lot of folks are caught off guard, right? And it's these dominoes that are falling, right? Three arrows goes down. Uh, then FTX tries to step in and absorb a lot of the issue, you know, those problems with BlockFi and Voyager uh, that have been lending to Three Arrows. Genesis gets caught there, but Barry kind of like delays their, you know, you know, covers a lot of the shortfall. But really, FTX like um, blowing up was what caused the, you know, we are we are in this position because it's just it's just I think most people weren't anticipating that. Um, and so one of the like very important distinctions I want to make, right, is if you're if anyone's listening now and, you know, you've been either using, you know, if you're a, there are a couple of important points. One is if you're a customer of Gemini, that doesn't necessarily mean that you're impacted. And let me explain why. Like, of course, this all could change in real time, right? But my understanding is it's really the people that were in the EARN program that is estimated to be around 300, 320 million based on what I've heard. Um, so yes, big, but not like billions. Um, and certainly not as big as other collapses. But still, it is only the users that had funds on Gemini and then decided to like earn and be part of this uh, earn program that are impacted, right? Because then they are they they were the ones that have taken on exposure and counterparty risk to um, to Genesis. But my understanding is, if you're just a regular depositor of Gemini, it's okay. It was down today for an hour, like the exchange, but it's back up and operational. Um, and I haven't talked to users directly, but I think if you try to withdraw just your traditional funds, it should be fine, right? I haven't actually tried. I have money. I have money on Gemini, both in the like normal crypt, like just crypto sitting there that I've made spot purchases with. And then I also have, I think yeah. I've got some like sushi sitting in their earn product or something like yeah. that. So I would assume the sushi, I can't it's, maybe. It's important to confirm that because mm -hmm. yeah. it's a big distinction, right? And the same is true for like other like um, lending programs. Any like these earning programs are the ones that have been impacted because they, as you explained earlier, are the ones that. It's sort of like it was just a referral to to Genesis, right? Um, and so what end up what whatever ends up happening with Genesis, if they are insolvent, if they get bailed out, if you recover eighty cents on the dollar, whatever that is, then it is the users of that earn program that are ultimately going to be like the creditors um, in in that yeah. claim. Yeah, that does seem like the key distinction and the proper distinction, though. FTX went under because they, well. Among among other things, lent every customer deposit to a random prop shop hedge fund, internalized maybe maybe not, but that was without customers knowing, without customers opting in. The yield, if it had ever materialized, would have flowed to said prop shop exchange under the hood. Um, and these, I think, more robust in institutions that do properly segment customer deposits and then often often lending obviously lending the money's going somewhere and you and you hope it comes back but you you would think that there's good segmentation there yeah and, and the other important thing to note here is obviously there are two other important stable coins here gemini dollar gusd and usdc right um and so because circle also had this like earn program um that Genesis uh, was a like a counterparty, and they now have reduced the yield on that program to effectively zero. Um, and I think I saw a statement from Jeremy earlier that their exposure to Genesis was like, like in the one or two percent, like one or two million range. So very small. Um, no way! No way! It's that small. One or two million. Uh, I I kid you not um we'll we'll link it hmm. anyways the important thing is there i mentioned this because there's now a lot of fud right of hey what's going to happen to usdc and gusd like are those insolvent you know and people are like fighting to the best of my knowledge those are not impacted and are fully backed dollar one-to-one -one, fully collateralized and audited so unless you're going to believe that the audit is fraudulent not correct and or, um, you know, somehow there's some fraud going on in these teams. 
Let me, let me just, there's really no reason to, there's really no reason to, at the moment, to have concerns, ongoing concerns around like these two stable coins. But let me know if you disagree with that. Uh, no, no. So I, I, I think um, the, I don't, there's no USDC FUD in my mind. Like there's, I, I love Circle and, and USDC. And like, I, I think that um, they, I, I was looking at the reserves basically. Like there was like, they, they have one-to-one -one reserves. I'm pretty sure like some, somewhere close to that. Um, here's here. I'm, hold on. Let me just pull up this one thing. Basically. All right. I'm, I'm looking at what Jeremy said, or I'm looking at what uh, circle said. Circle yield is an over collateralized fixed term yield product. Genesis is a counterparty to circle in this product. Total circle yield customer loans outstanding are two. Okay. This is where your number is coming from. 2.6 million as of November 16th. My question about this is that, there's a report from June 2020 that indicates that Circle lent out about 250 million. So if Genesis only accounts for 2.5 million, who where's the re like where's where's the rest? Who's the rest attributed to? Do you do you see the question I'm asking? Mm -hmm. I do. I don't have the answer to, but I do see your question. Yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. So that's a strangely trivial amount. I mean, at at, at Circle size, of feels so low, right, Fubar? Yeah, from 40, 40 to 60 billion, you'd think you don't want to be organizing pockets of 2.6 million here and there. Yeah. So, so I'm curious. Yeah, but I mean, I think that I think that USDC FUD is totally fine. I think that, yeah, Circle will be fine. I mean, I think this stems from they had what they had a relationship between DCG or, uh, yeah, Genesis and Circle from like 2020. Um, mm -hmm. For, for the yield and the lending services. I think you're right, by the way, on Gemini Earn. While, while you guys were just talking, I looked this up. I think it's just that Gemini Earn pause withdrawals. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, um, I guess the other, <clears throat> should we move on to like Maker and discuss a little bit about that? Or uh, I would just, I would do the last thing on, on Gemini is just that um, on Genesis is that every, basically every CPI platform that I know uses, that offers some sort of Earn uses Genesis on the back end. Big one, mm -hmm. small one. Everyone uses Genesis. There's also Anchorage has a has a desk um, that generates yield that like wasn't as big, but it started has been getting bigger and bigger. I haven't heard anything out of Anchorage, so I'm hope I'm that's one uh, to definitely monitor. Yeah, definitely monitoring what's going on at Anchorage. Um, I haven't heard anything. This is total. I'm just you know, but I do know that there's a lot of C5 platforms that starting in June they moved off of Genesis uh, to offer the four to five percent, and they moved into mm -hmm. Anchorage. So now, and again, an important distinction I'll make is. If you're a customer of Anchorage Custody and you haven't submitted or part of this earn program, theoretically, technically, you shouldn't be impacted. Like if you're just a pure custody um, customer of Anchorage, my understanding is unless you opt into earning some yield, then you should be fine per your terms of services and, you know, yada, yada, yada. Hmm. Yeah. So, you, it's so you're, like, not, you're, you're not as worried you're, about Anchorage, basically. Like, like, no, it's not that I'm not worried. It's just that, like, it's really important here to just understand, are you just a, using them for pure custody services? Or at some point in the relationship, a lot of these custodians started offering the ability to earn some yield on your coins. Mm. And if you wanted to clip some yield, then yes, at some point you became you took on some counterparty risk of Genesis and or some other players that were trying to capture yield and do this arbitrage of off-chain, on-chain yield spreads um, that included, you know, just funds, um, hedge funds in the space, like through arrows that were like doing these strategies, a lot of them of which have blown up um, yeah. and insolvent now. And so that's my understanding of this whole situation. Um, yeah. Now, there were a lot of, pro we'll have to monitor which projects and funds that were holding a lot of stables or coins. You know, a lot of them, the rationale was, oh, look, we're in a bear market. We're super long X coin. We're just sitting tidy on USDC. Oh, hey, look, here's a counterparty that's offering me four or 5%. Why not do that? And I think the lesson so far um, has been, you know, a lot of these uh, lenders grossly have miscalculated counterparty risk. And the question for me is like, at what point does 
Gemini, Gemini's internal team that is acting as a referral, like a, a referral platform for Genesis, right? They're just customer from Gemini, you're referred to Genesis. Now that customer may not really truly understand or know anything about Genesis, but look, it's in their platform. So presumably they've been vetted, right? By the risk management team. Like at what point, the two questions in my mind is, how often and what kind of due diligence was going on at Gemini to, to like constantly verify the solvency of their counterparties? And this is something that is just traditional, like best yeah. practices, right? And what were the attestations that were being done to prove the solvency? Because look, Luna collapsed a, a while ago and there have been speculations of Genesis being in a precarious situation. If you're Gemini... Like, I think the important question will be, uh, hey, at what point do you stop the program? Do you protect your customers? And do you ask Genesis to like call back? Like, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. Because by the way, every risk management team across crypto has failed pretty much. You got to keep your customers alive, right? Even if if you're just purely a middleman, if you're passing people Mm -hmm. along to to other counterparties that will bankrupt them, then that's, I mean, obviously the, the bankrupting of them is terrible, but it also means that your customers are, are becoming insolvent. And so there's less future business to be done there. Um, mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. How much of the, this is a broader question, but how much of the focus on yield at all costs do you think is healthy and how much do you think is extreme? Obviously we have, um, Obviously, traditional finance is built on what's the risk-free rate of U.S. Treasury yield, and then, and then, I mean, Ethereum has native staking yield now. Um, but then, De- DeFi summer, I think, kicked off just this extreme obsession with type hyper optimization of why are you getting thirteen percent here when you could be getting sixteen percent elsewhere, and this constant rebalancing um, that 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 has continued the search for yield, even as natural yields have compressed significantly. Um, how much of that do you think is healthy and how much should the industry move away from? So, okay. So I would argue that DeFi summer didn't kick it off. Um, I would actually ar- argue that um, consumer con- VC back consumer apps actually kicked this off and I'll, I'll make the connection here, which is that if you look at um Fubar, I have no idea where, where, where in the world you live, but I, I live in New York and Ubers used to be $5. You could take an Uber anywhere, anywhere in New York for $5. Today, I can take an Uber anywhere in New York. It's about 40 to 50 bucks, right? So they were basically subsidizing 90% of the ride using, using VC dollars. And uh, mm-hmm. that, that works great, right? Like that's this proven VC model for building consumer apps that works incredibly well with consumer apps uh, where you basically just burn a boatload of VC money for to subsidize to subsidize the, uh, the, the, the yield essentially, uh, to, or to subs to like subsidize the cost of this stuff. You're seeing what, what, what we did in crypto with all these C5 platforms is we copied the consumer, the VC back consumer app model, but we applied it to FinTech apps. And I think that's where things got really dangerous, um, is because once the yield, once the capital runs out, um, you see this like violent unwinding, uh, because it's all, you see this violent unwinding that like when, when things like violently unwind in consumer apps, like no, nothing happens. You just, the the cost of my Uber just goes from five bucks to 50 bucks. Well, when things violently unwind in, in FinTech and in crypto, you, people lose a lot of money. I think like, I partially agree with that, but like, I've said this over and over, like, I think during DeFi summer, you have to ask yourself, like, if you don't understand where the yield is coming from, you're the yield. Like, and you know, at some point, it's not sustainable to clip, you know, or like multiples of what traditional rates are without, without sensing, like, not that it's not sustainable. It is as you can clip really high coupon on a junk bond, but you kind of know that that junk bond is a junk bond. The problem that I think a lot of people in crypto have been not perhaps fully aware of because maybe they were indirectly like not, they were buying a stable coin called Terra that they think is a stable coin and ends up not being a stable coin. Um, 
and partially because, you know, these platforms, to your point, Jason, were just making it very easy for them, right? Um, <clears throat> and I think that's that's been, I think, the problem, right? Where even earning 8% after, like, DeFi has been on a bear, like, in a bear market. Like, DeFi summer ended a year and a half ago, right? Even even before, even after, like, yeah. we've been almost, like, two years in this where yields in DeFi haven't been that that compelling, right? DeFi summer is fairly like compressed, like mm -hmm. very. But still, though, you had these like weird earn programs that were giving you six, eight percent, and you're wondering, gosh, like how are they pulling this off? And you know, it's just like a time lesson. I know it's. I don't want to meet sound like you know, like I'm preaching here. Like, look. Uh, at some point, it's just like if the yield's too good to be true, you just got to ask yourself, like, how are they clipping this yield? Um, and unfortunately, a lot of people just like turned a blind eye to that. Mm -hmm. Like, like Anchor, yeah. like Anchor was giving you eight percent. Yeah. Um, well, I mean, they're, they're, and, and that, to thing. be fair, like Anchor was like the last sweet farm, if you will, yeah. that a lot of people were doing in size, and yeah. and and you know so many that that was partially the bigger problem like a lot of these farms in DeFi summer lasted few days and it as soon as that like the pool grew anything north of 5 million 10 million the yield was like fairly low fairly quickly like gone to you know to not very compelling or worthwhile but anchor for a while like supported a lot of capital in size and that caught pretty much every major fund in the space off guard because they were trying to clip yield. And so your initial question is a good one, which is I think the days of recursive leverage and capturing yield are long gone. Like we're not going to go back to that state. Liquidity is going to dry up, has already dried up fairly substantially. Any major, you know, borrower lender in this market is tightening mm -hmm. up showing up drastically if they're still alive yeah the the market makers and lenders are if 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 not if not dead hooked up to an iv at this point um i mean it, it comes i think i think yield comes from a good place like the original a, prof, a profitable protocol can redistribute um can fees fees to users and whatnot and that is and that is a good sign in its base fundamental original state of what the of what the proper um winners winners are but the problem is that that's gotten so distorted that it's turned from a it's turned from a measure of success into a measure of risk how does how does the market price this is it a is it a 20% or a 70% default rate? Um, so mm -hmm. yeah, it'll be interesting to see what, how that, how that progresses. Yeah. Do you guys have a solution here? Because it, I mean, Santi, you said this line that people in crypto love to say, including myself, which is like, if you don't know where the yield's coming from, you are the yield, but like you can get, you can get 3% right now on Marcus by Goldman Sachs, or I can get like, <laughs> probably 0.01% on my Bank of America account or something like that. I don't really know what they're doing with the money. Like, I don't actually know where the yield is coming from. Um, but I'm not. Uh, you're muted. You're muted. You're absolutely right. Look, this is. Uh, the, I'm not saying that, like, there's no place for fractional reserve banking in the world. Like, look, this is how banks operate. As yeah. soon as you deposit funds, you know, you don't know what they're necessarily doing with that. Um and if you have concerns about, you know, being a depositor in a bank, you're better off just holding treasuries. It's closer yeah. to the printing press. Um, nonetheless, like there is a state of the world where this continues to operate. Um, it just needs to be yeah. heavily regulated. Yeah. It, I mean, um, it unless, does, of course, it, you're like a, you're like a supplying liquidity to a protocol as FUBAR, as you said. Yeah. Or, or, or at least made or at least made transparent uh, or, or made fund, super funds flow on chain controlled yeah. by code whatnot yeah, absolutely yeah. if you're a 
if you're a, you know, a depositor in Aave and there's a huge borrow demand for a particular asset and you happen to have that asset, then the market's going to price that. And, yeah. but you're, but you're seeing that fairly like mm -hmm. in real time. And, and that's the beauty of DeFi here. Um, there have been, I'm not saying by the way, DeFi is perfect uh, because this, a lot of DeFi champions and bulls, like it's important to like say, there's still a lot of risk in DeFi, smart contract risk. Cream, for instance, had an issue where they onboarded a questionable collateral type and that was used as exit liquidity. Like, you know, but at least mm -hmm. at least people are monitoring that. And and the problem that I go back to here, which is my biggest concern, is what were the risk management teams at these earned programs really doing? And to what extent and veracity and thoroughness were they inspecting books? And it's clear that they probably weren't. So do you, do you see a world where on, on the verifiable transparency veracity front, the two paths are we need better inspectors or we need a way to program this better? Um, <laughs> Yes. Who regulates? Who But that's, that's a great. Like, who regulates the inspector? Who? Who? It's like it's like SMP and the rating agencies. Yeah, wasn't like, it the? I think that the auditor for FTX and maybe this was a meme that got blown out of proportion, but I believe their tagline was the first auditor in the metaverse. <laughs> yeah. And and we don't. Yeah. Yeah, so, I think like look at the end of the day. Um, I feel much more comfortable being enforced by code with some recourse off chain. Like, I mean, I think that's the, like, yeah, code is law to some extent, but like also there's recourse because everything is transparent and then you can have a claim off chain say, Hey, look, something was done here or there and it, like funds were misappropriated or whatever. But having the guarantees and the transparency of uh, a smart contract is very powerful. And I think it's uh, that becomes very powerful, especially in moments like now. Uh, and maybe this is a good segue into Maker because yeah. you're... Yeah. Um, but what I'll say is that's the kind of the issue, right? Rating agencies were in the 2008 global financial crisis where, you know, anyone that's seen the movie The Big Short or just has any understanding of what happened, they were rating sub, you know, junk or crap as AAA. And it's like, who's... They have reputation, but they clearly like lost it, but they still exist. It's a bit of a shit show, right? Yeah. You want to explain the maker situation with Gemini, GUSD? Oh, sir, you're the maker delegate. I mean, I'll take a stab. <laughs> Basically, Gemini's, all right, so I think it's Tyler Winklevoss. Maybe it's Cameron. Um, do you know one time this summer I was in, uh, I was in New York and I saw Cameron and Tyler play? uh I, I went and saw them play at uh at a venue like playing guitar it just makes me think i'm like man they probably should have been spending more time uh on the risk parameters not playing guitar but uh anyways september 29th like two months ago tyler posted to the maker community and basically said hey look we've had this really deep relationship between gemini and maker for a while right we've custodied maker and die we've traded maker and die we've our earned pr uh, product supports maker um and die nifty gateway people can use die with a credit card where uh, consumers are able to select die and maker as the reward. Basically he posted um, to the maker forum and just said, we want to uh, help GUSD um, help GUS to encourage the use of GUSD in the maker ecosystem. So Gemini partnered with maker to pay them 1.5% uh, 1.25% annualized on all the GUSD they have in the PSM. Currently it's at 473 million GUSD. Um, this kind of puts into question, I, I, so I think there's two questions here. One is, I think we're about to reach the debt threshold in the PSM, which is, I think, 500 million. And then there's also a question around the uh, GUSD stability, right? Because so Gemini, GUSD is Gemini stablecoin. Um, it's reportedly backed one-to-one -one by cash and cash equivalents. Gemini offers a lot of the problem of this earned product. One of the, one of the reasons people use Gemini is because they offered 8.5% on GUSD. Um, I think they've pulled that down to like five or five and a half percent. But um, so, so one question here is like, is GUSD stable? The other is um, we're going to reach the debt threshold of the GUSD PSM. Um, so I think, I think those are the two things to talk about here. Is that 
What do you guys think about that? Yeah, it's, um, I think overall, you're probably closer to the situation than me being an active maker delegate. But the issue is that stable coins don't have native yield without off without off chain treasury management or something like that. Um, we have we have tokenized dollars, but we don't have tokenized treasuries at this point. And so a lot of a lot of these offers, there's the Gemini one, I think Coinbase proposed a big deal as well um, to, to act as intermediaries to get it to get a bit of yield back to the holders of these stable coins. But there's there are huge just risks and opaqueness surrounding it um, because there are these middlemen taking rent. So how, th how that all plays out, how it gets intermingled, um, say if Gemini's or in-program goes down, for some other reason, do, do maker assets get siloed um, or do they get lumped in with the rest of the losses? They're tricky questions. Yeah, I, I don't think um, I don't think the maker stuff with GUSD is that big of a deal. So current reserves are at like 472 million GUSD. The, there, there is a maximum debt ceiling of 500 million. Um, like so... You know, GUSD here, for, for those who don't know, PSM is the peg stability module. So GUSD could be used alongside USDC to mint die one-to-one. -one. Maker is generally pretty prideful of its of the over-collateralized nature. This kind of like backdoor the protocol, I'd say. I, I, I think this is kind of a nothing burger. Um, I don't know. I don't know if you think it's a bigger deal than I think it is, Santi, but. Uh, well, die, or, die has a supply of five and a half billion. So yeah. something capped. I mean, that's that, that's max 10%. Um, let alone, I mean, it, this isn't, as long as you're not committing complete fraud, it's, it's often a couple of cents to get wiped off the dollar in the worst case, not to mention maker equity. So yeah, I, I don't think this is a cause yeah. for concern, but it is a, an interesting piece of scaling and whatnot. I would say the bigger thing that I'm paying attention to is so jet, uh, earlier today, uh, or excuse me, earlier in this conversation, explaining kind of the relationship with Genesis and then DCG. The other, another sister company is Grayscale, right? The largest asset manager in all of crypto. Does this, right now GBTC is trading at a 40% premium, uh, excuse me, discount. Does this, like, is there any, there's some, there's some FUD going on that uh, like Grayscale could be hurt by this or that they might be forced to sell, like DCG might force sell GBTC. I don't even know if they could even do this, but like sell GBTC to make a, to cover some of the hole, which would drive the discount down even further. Santi, are you following this at all? Or Fubar, are you following this? Um, yeah, GB Grayscale products are the widowmaker trade of crypto. They're so <laughs> tempting and tantalizing, they draw in the best and brightest and then <laughs> wreck them and dump them out in the process, making it even more tantalizing. So obviously there's a bunch of Bitcoin within the Grayscale Trust backed one for one, trading a forty percent discount. Um, there is a two, I think, two percent asset management, management. fee annually, which mm -hmm. is gro grossly high, but still far lower than forty percent. So if you think there's any, so it's 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 an arb play on future redemption, either ETF conversion or some winding down of the trust itself. So. The trick is that people lever this up too often. That was the three AC undoing in particular. Um, is they, yeah, you have to find buyers on the open market, or else the price goes goes down. You get liquidated, for, which further exacerbates the problem. Um, so it certainly hasn't. I'd, I'd say probably one of the biggest it's a very large contributor to contagion in general is institutional players that institutional come in at institutional size, come in and they make basic assumptions about the space. Like they're like this arb will close. Um, regulators will act reasonably to protect, um, to protect investors in this regulated product. And then the regulated product just pulls out the bottom while the spot, the the spot unfamiliar one does well, 
And that I think causes a, a bad feedback loop of both burning institutional players who are trying to dip their toe into the space and do it in a moderately safe way um, and exacerbates liquidity problems all over because of the lockup. Yeah. I think that's the two things, more important things to reiterate. There are like, it's really this levered ARB discount play that has caught a lot of players off guard. Um, now, if you're there, can I just explain just, that for Santu for a sec, just for background for folks who don't understand it really quickly? A lot of or folks I, were like borrowing Fubar, correct me here, but the flow is like you want to just capture that spread. His, so, for, for context, there was a time where these products traded at a massive premium. Yeah. No one tr- kind of believed that they were ever trade at a discount, much less this level of, of a discount. Um, like this lasted for years and there were some people that are very profitable doing it, but like everything that is hugely profitable at some point gets arbed out. Um, so particularly three hours at some point was the largest or one of the largest holders of some of these products, including like GBTC and ETHE. And they were fairly late into the trade where that premium, where you would like, I'm trying to explain it here. I'm probably going to get it wrong, but you like borrow the underlying spot, I think from someone like BlockFi and Fubar step in here. And then you use that to, to subscribe to GBTC and ETHE, is that right? Yeah, the underlying mechanics, um, I'm, I'm forgetting their exact names or whatnot, but the specific type of trust that it is has a six-month lockup period upon Correct. new share creation yes, and then can't be withdrawn ever, really, or at least not under any any reasonable conditions. So one, So one way people can... Um, only only certain types of approved share creators can deposit BTC and get back GBTC with the six month lockup. And so this initially was trading at a what 10, 20, maybe even 40 percent mm-hmm. premium, yeah, because there was more institutional demand than um, than shares available. And you'd you'd think that the ARB would close, but the six month window, of delayed selling means you can't do it atomically. You have to mm-hmm. take on you have to take on six months of price uh, risk. So, risk yeah. so if there was demand for call it a thousand more shares of GBTC than there was, then people would go in and create a thousand shares. But then six months pass and people are demanding ten thousand. So the ARB keeps it so the ARB keeps increasing. So what people would do to make this a quote unquote delta neutral strategy is they would they would um, buy they would buy buy or borrow BTC stick it in the trust and while they're waiting six months short mm-hmm. spot Bitcoin or whatnot to to hedge out the price risk and try right. to capture that arm. But then when when the premium goes from plus forty percent to minus twenty percent, you lost sixty percent. These were often levered plays because it was risk-free money. Well, it, it was it was an arm that made money for years. Um, so people just got confident and cocky. And then what happens is institutional demand switches. Um, there's a surplus of these shares. Nobody wants to buy them. And so price goes deeply negative. Right. Yeah. So I think this is the... So we've seen folks... So Chris Berniski came out earlier this week. He's like, I'm loading up on GBTC. Hal Press came out yesterday. He said his fund made a large BTC buy. I think he said, quote, yes, we did buy all of the GBTC shares. I think this is the thesis, if I had to get it right, is um, is that the FTX failure is going to push regulators toward regulation and hopefully some clarity here. Bitcoin is going to be the one of the assets that gets labeled a commodity. It sounds like a lot of other things might get labeled securities. Bitcoin needs to get labeled as commodities. Um, and that GBTC will be the first to get converted into an ETF. And that 40% discount will collapse um, and maybe go to zero. 
uh, because there's no liquidity because the it, it unlocks the liquidity there's not that six month lockup anymore mm-hmm. uh, and so you so that's a so if it, it's redeemable yeah at a 40 percent discount if a 40 percent discount uh, if that spread closes that's a 67 percent gain if i'm doing the mental math right that might be wrong um so that's so that's so that's your money maker um yeah now importantly i don't think they're using much leverage here i think they're just buying yeah just like I think they're just, yeah, exactly. Yeah. So. Uh, hoping for some redemption window to open via an ETF or yeah. probably the only solution yeah. at this point. Um, Let's talk what about do you FTX. Think, or go, go uh, before FTX, like what, uh, I don't think if, if there's been any developments for the last hour, but what are the options? What happens to Genesis and DCG and all the creditors? Um, all right. Well, there's another... Uh, I would assume that DC, so DCG raised a $10 billion valuation about a year ago. I would assume that DCG is racing to raise capital right now. Um, I, so D, so DCG put in, crap, I should know this number. They, 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 um, they funneled like 140 million into inequity and in, into Genesis in like an emergency stopgap last that was, week. Or that was last week of 175 million, I believe. Last week. Okay. Maybe 175. Well, I think it was, I think it was that Genesis reported that they had exposure of 175 okay. and DCG funneled backstopped 140 of the 175 of that. But anyways, when I saw, when I saw the 140 number, I'm like, that's weirdly low basically. Um, thank you. We have a, we have a great producer. Uh, Garrett, Garrett is highlighting the the numbers in the, in the show notes as we talk here. Uh, great, great. Shout out, shout out Garrett here. Um, DCG is uh, fun, funneled 140 into that. When I saw that number, um, it just feels like Barry, Barry's kind of at the end of end of his cash pile. I would say, I always thought of Barry as having like an infinite cash pile. It feels like if he really had all the cash, he just would have done 175 of 175. I have a, this is a total speculation. I know nothing here. I would assume that Barry and DCG are racing to raise capital to backstop Genesis. If they do that, I would assume that they raise it the $1.52 billion range. Those are my assumptions here. There are other speculations going on, like- um, What's that business worth though? The Genesis like, business? Like, yeah. Other than the the claims, right? Uh, but their book, but like the actual business itself, if all, a lot of the executives have left, like, and their reputation, you know, it's like, uh, would you, I guess the, if you're Barry, the options are continue to fund rate, raise at the hold co DCG and then stop gap and, and save Genesis. Maybe there's a liquidity mismatch. Maybe there's some of the collateral that's stuck in FTX, three arrows, bankruptcy proceedings that might, you know, take 10 years plus and get some sort of probabilistically 65 between five and 70 cents on the dollar. Good luck. Um, you save it. You re- well, try even, to raise. Even Coinbase debt is trading at fifty cents on the dollar. So would expect an even higher discount. Exactly. On less, less yeah. public, uh, uh-huh. more long tail lending stuff. Yeah, that's a great point. And so you you either save it or you let it go. You sell this to someone. I don't know who would want to buy it. Hoping to them like be really aggressive in trying to recover some of the funds. Hmm. Wait, so wait, like, can I, I, like, I, I just want to make sure I understand. What Fubar, I, hold on. I, I want to understand Fubar's point one more time. So wait, so Coinbase has publicly traded debt at like 50% below par that anyone in the world can buy right now. So you're saying the Genesis loan book has to be at least like a 75% haircut or more here. Is that, am I understanding that correctly? Yeah, Coinbase bonds are, I think, 50% below par, 15% APR or so. So I'd, I'd expect them to be the, not 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 the risk-free rate, but the benchmark rate for publicly traded um, or public, public, large enough to be public crypto infra market-making lending companies. Yeah, I would assume what's also going on right now is there's a lot of bidders who are doing what what happened in the FTX situation, which is there's a lot of bidders who want to take a look at a loan book, but they don't actually want to. Buy it. <laughs> so, yep, exactly. Get yeah. the letter of interest. Yeah. So, uh, so 
or, or you let it go, you try to sell the book. What's the, the other thing that I just want to touch on is what happens to Gemini here? Well, just one last point on the on the Genesis side of things. I would expect that we see something that looks like a Binance. When Binance came in, it was like, we're going to acquire FTX. They look at the books and then they pull out. I would expect we see something similar. Not, you know, people, people <laughs> said Binance, Binance for the Genesis thing. I, I don't well, think we see I don't think we see Binance here because of the U.S. regulations. I don't think they have any interest. I, in that. I think CZ has enough. Yeah, yeah I think already. he's had enough. Yeah, exactly. But, well, but I would maybe, assume there's some maybe you see like out. a some vulture like Apollo. Uh, try to set up someone like Apollo. Oh yeah, like this like full, full buy, buy this uh, like one cents on the one cent on the dollar or five cents on the dollar. Have bring in like a really aggressive like bankruptcy restructuring lawyer and then like yeah. recover. 20 cents again they not they don't need to underwrite a full recovery here all you need to do is there's again all of this comes down to on what price do you get the book and there is a clearing price it's not zero maybe it's one maybe it's 10 maybe it's 50 but if you have there's a price for this book is what i'm saying hmm. i'm not getting near this book um <laughs> I, I, well, to be to be yeah. fair i don't know enough about it is that is that info gonna come out public? You think or stay under wraps? Fubar, you think anything stays private in crypto? <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, I, I would assume that it, it, I th- it's actually beneficial for those kind of things to go public because it it brings trust back, it brings confidence back to the market. Yeah, that's what I would assume. So. Um, there are a lot of companies out there who are saying we didn't, there's a lot of companies, a lot of funds who are saying we did not have exposure to FTX. We didn't have exposure to Alameda. We did not have exposure to three arrows, Luna, Celsius, BlockFi, Genesis, or Gemini. And I am sitting here. 24 hours later, they declare bankruptcy. Putting my tinfoil hat (laughs) on. Without fail. It it is impossible (laughs) for all of you to be telling the truth. Um, like, what are you guys looking at next for where, where the, uh, what happens next? Where do we go from here? Or what companies or what types of companies? Like what happens next in the next six hours or a day? Because next like two hours, next thir- I think at this point <laughs> we're talking on we're talking this on point, minutes and hours. At yeah. this point, our, yeah, we're we're operating on a short timeline here. Um I don't know, Fuwar, you want to go first? People people get mad when you speculate that they're bankrupt. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> they don't react kindly to that. Um yeah. I I use I, I, I use lots of proxies for operational management quality and trust that are sometimes correlative and sometimes not. But I don't know that I have any specific name to drop as the next shoe to fall. Fubar, that's why we bring you on, man. You are you're you're the uh, <laughs> end on here. Santi and I hearing, can't stand here. Hearing, a lot of hearing rumors that that Ethereum is salt is insolvent. <laughs> who, who are the, who are these validators? getting yeah. paid out with new tokens <laughs> printed every block <laughs> what's going on here yeah, yeah. that is that is that is uh, signal that is signal right there um i i've i've said enough names here to it it's i think it's fair to assume that we should the point that adam makes is a good one not just in these moments but just always um it's not to say that you should never have any counterparty risk. Sometimes it's difficult, right? To have zero counterparty risk. But if you have counterparty risk, it's just, it's a time to reassess that. And it's a time to be extra careful. And I'll tell you what I did. I minimized and have zero counterparty risk at this point. And everything is either fully withdrawn back to fiat um, or some stable coin. And the stable coin that I feel most comfortable, this is not an endorsement but I feel most comfortable is one that is fat backed one-to-one. And the one that I feel comfortable with is USTC. Again, not an endorsement. And again, I'm monitoring the situation in real time. Um, and anytime yeah. Jeremy tweets, I, you sure know that I have an alert on that. Yeah. Um, but at this moment in time, I don't have a growing concern on the redeemability of USDC one-to-one. Yeah. Um, but, but if there's anything you know. this week has taught us, it's, uh, it's what I said to you the other day, Santi. It's like, you just got to move quickly when there's smoke, when there's smoke, Correct. right? 
Right. Um, I mean, I didn't move now. fast enough. I didn't move fast enough that Sunday. I um, sat down. Yeah. It's Wednesday today. I sat down on Monday and was going to pull some money off of Gemini and was like, yeah, I'll get to it on. I'll get to it like this weekend. I'll get to it later. It's just mm-hmm. like I've made these mistakes so many times. We yeah. I, I had a similar thing with Tara and Luna happen where we had a chunk of change or I had a bit of money and just you know, like, yeah, we'll, so we'll, we'll, we'll watch it play out. Should have just taken like 80 cents on the dollar. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Yeah. So I think, um, you know, I don't want to speculate. Um, I think there's a lot of FUD going on right now. It look, don't outright dismiss the FUD, but also don't act impulsively. But at the same time, if acting impulsively is going to ensure your survivability and you have too much funds with one counterparty, it's probably best to segregate and contain risk that no single wallet or counterparty or asset can destabilize you. You know what I mean? It's like the Horcrux model. We always bring on Harry Potter now. Mm-hmm. Spread it out. You can easily create wallets. You can easily self-custody. You know, if you don't have to use an exchange and you have some probability that it could go under or just pause withdrawals, and that's going to make your life complicated and difficult, take it off. Go, go off chain, you know, go cold storage. And if you're really not reading the service agreements of an earn program and you don't understand where even 5% is coming from, 2% is coming from. Now is not the time to get cute. Go clip 5% on treasuries. God damn it. <laughs> We're definitely in a guilty until proven innocent regime. Yes. Yeah. Um, the, 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 the evidence you need is not, you don't need overwhelmingly like beyond the reasonable doubt evidence. You need, enough to doubt that's 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 good enough and even that said there are i see certain areas where people risk 10 like risk 100 percent for a 10 percent upside while ignoring the cases where your downside is 10 percent, the upside's 100 um so regardless of whether things come to fruition or not i'd say for most for most people they panic they panic on false positives more often than not, but then you're prepared for the actual scenarios where it is necessary. You do need to act quickly. If you're somebody who's only ever used a centralized exchange and doesn't know what MetaMask is, if you're, it, it's good to go download that, practice with it, mm-hmm. see what see see what Uniswap is, custody a seed phrase and whatnot, and then mm-hmm. you're ready. You can do that in a semi calm manner. Uh, mm-hmm. Take your time, learn some stuff, tinker Absolutely. with small amount, tinker with small amounts of money, and then when it really matters that you have to act impulsively in the moment, you're ready, you're prepared. Mm-hmm. There, yeah, absolutely. There's a reason why companies do fire drills on mm-hmm. a regular cadence. Yeah, I think uh, I posted a posted a tweet about Netflix's Chaos Monkey tool yesterday, mm-hmm. where they have an internal software service that'll go in and randomly kill off machines kill off backend servers um to see if the website can stay up to test mm-hmm. the healing mechanisms yeah uh, and make sure that they're running they have this this constant i'd call it a learning process it's the mm-hmm. the engineers learning what infra is reliable and what's not and the yeah. crypto industry should have that as well but for centralized exchanges and for users what is mm-hmm. it like to get yourself to a safe place yeah one um Last point, I think we can maybe transition to, as we talk about FOD, you know, the disappointment of media, as we've seen some of these puff pieces. But before we get there, I just want to reiterate one point uh, that is not lost on me, which is, you know, if you have doubts about a particular solvency of a particular exchange, then a lot of them you can assume are going to be tested sooner rather than later. And if they have proof of reserves and they're doing things correctly, they should be able to process those withdrawals fairly in a in an orderly manner without having to cause major delays. Um, and so this is going to be a stress test for every single major, every single kind of exchange and or service provider or app out there. Um, and frankly, that's a really good thing. And, and so, you know, I, I think when you talk about why things can go wrong, if there's a bank run, typically you get in a very tricky position when 
you're running a very levered book of fractional reserves and you can't call back those, you know, those loans that you've extended. Um, the counterparty, the, the, the borrower might be solvent, might be sound, but there's two things that can happen that have happened here. One, the borrower might be go insolvent as we've seen, right? And then you can't call back that loan uh, to process a withdrawal or it's stuck in a place. And so it's just a, a mismatch of assets and liabilities. But that doesn't necessarily mean that that money will never be recovered. It's just it's going to take a little bit of more time. We've seen instances of both, right? One where the counterparty, like the, the, borrow, the, the borrower blew up. And so you can't recover those funds. They're either stuck in FTX or, you know, you're going to recover some cents on the dollar. And so you take a haircut on that and then you can't process the withdrawal of your, the exchange or, you know, hmm. um, or it's just going to take a little bit of time. And so I think these next couple of weeks will understand exactly this difference between purely just a mismatch, which is the best case. Or some other, which is a worse situation, which is not just a mismatch, but your counterparty blew up and there's, uh, it's a bad, bad debt, right? You have to take a haircut on that. Yeah. It's a good distinction. Good call. Um, I have an interview in 18 minutes. Uh, Blockworks is still hiring actually for anyone who's looking for a role. So we have a bunch of, bunch of open roles open. So I have 18 minutes here. Do you guys want to talk about, uh, New York Times total puff piece. You want to talk about uh, why SBF is tweeting like random letters? You want to talk about Solana? Or you want to just wrap this? Fubar, it's on you. I think on the yeah on on the media coverage uh, every day I wake up and stuff is worse than I thought it would be. <laughs> so had had low expectations coming in, but it does seem like they're trying to paint an extremely cozy picture of someone you if, if you go back and look at the articles about coinbase's ceo kraken ceo which are both it seems much more honest transparent useful exchanges than ftx was um it's just bite, biting and critical so it's fa fascinating to see that this is the point where the um, ge general media policy of saying only bad things about tech takes a turn is with the genuine fraudster. But I also suppose that it's, it's useful for people to learn which sources are reliable and which ones aren't. Um, Gelman amnesia comes for us all where you read about you read about something in your area of expertise, see how it's completely wrong, then flip the page, read about something you know nothing about and take all the words at face value. So I think yet another data point in people learning which sources are reliable and which aren't. Hopefully hopefully it isn't used as too crude of a weapon against the good actors in the space. I mean I agree with you, Fubar. Let me turn that into a positive statement, though, which is I think that mm -hmm. this has been the last like 10 days. The last couple of weeks have actually just been a really bright light for crypto media, right? Big shout out to Ian Allison at Coindesk. Like his, his story kicked all of this off. Uh, the on-chain analysts have done an amazing job like using tools like Etherscan and Nansen to just basically pretty much uncovering crime trails using the blockchain. Uh, I think Twitter, like Citizen Journos, uh, have worked like Fubar. I'm not sure if you've slept in the last two weeks. Have just like worked their <laughs> absolute ass off to aggregate information and just keep people up to date on everything. I would say reporters. Like I'm seeing how hard Blockworks reporters are working right now. Uh, there, there's all this. There's a lot of like twi uh, Twitter citizen journalism that's amazing, but sometimes there's like not really sure what's rumor or what's truth. Uh, like I've seen how hard the Blockworks reporters have have worked to figure out to not only cover everything but to figure out what is truth and what is just rumor. Um, I think I'll give a shout out to podcasts. Like, I think we're doing a pretty good job. Folks at Bankless, Laura Shin, Unchained, like on the margin, Mike Show, Ford Guidance, Jack Farley, like the podcasts are giving really, really, really thoughtful analysis. I would just say it's a, it's been a 
bright light in my mind. Like everyone who's been working really hard to bring truth to crypto is um has been doing doing a great job. Yeah, it's a it's a great framing. Um, really is kind of the, the turning of the tide in terms of who has everybody has access to investigate on chain stuff, and you really get to see who knows what they're talking about, and in yeah. real time, days or weeks faster than you get through traditional sourcing. Yeah. So, yeah. Santi, anything else uh, to touch on? No, I mean, I think you guys are right on point there. You know, a lot of times we talk about more oversight of crypto markets. I think I absolutely agree with that. Oversight of, you know, black box traditional service providers that operate as normal traditional financial institutions. Absolutely. There's, there should be the same level of rigor and oversight to understand really what exactly they're doing under the hood. But oversight of on-chain stuff is there for anyone to inspect in real time. And you can call it out. If you have a wallet that is tagged to Binance and Binance is moving around a couple billion dollars, you can immediately tweet to CZ. And if there's enough noise, I think right now every single major kind of player out there is is monitoring Twitter and and responding to that Q&A in real time. Otherwise, runs the risk of, you know, losing customers or trust very quickly. So it's just an important distinction to make. I'm fairly optimistic that this message is resonating with not just, not just like to be fair, like I, I have Bloomberg on all the time. It's kind of therapeutic to just listen to the nonsense. Um, it's like a soothing voice. I kind of grew up in a trading floor. And, but a lot of the, a lot of the guests that have come on and a lot of the questions, because historically like the, the traditional media has asked like leading questions, right. That like frame it in like a really bad light rhetorical questions but a lot of the a lot of the discussion has been i think fairly constructive and has gotten it some like fairly right around this goes to the jp morgan report um and i think that there is some good journalism being made uh and reporting and i think people are starting to understand that a lot of what happened at ftx could was in large part because of a lack of a regular like this regulatory loophole arbitrage that pushed them offshore and they weren't very regulated. And a lot of times there should have been emphasis there uh, to protect consumers. And, and a lot of the stuff on DeFi is just has been working well and has, there are problems with DeFi, but transparency um, and non-custodial solutions have been operating to the fairly well. Yeah. It's really nicely said. Mm -hmm. All right. Housekeeping, as we wrap this up, I appreciate everyone listening. I know everyone's super busy, so I appreciate you guys listening. One, if you enjoyed this show, uh, Santi and I are working our ass off. Fubar, appreciate you joining us. So just please hit that subscribe. Um, I know Santi- You gotta fine. do, you gotta do the, the like the-, the, the, the <laughs> Click down, click down. Yeah, yeah, no. But actually, please, please subscribe because it actually goes, it really goes a long way if you're listening on like Apple or Spotify and give us a, a review. Santi cringes every single time I say this, but it really does help the show. Uh, the more people who review- the higher we go and like when you open your Spotify app. So it really does go a long way. The other thing is that um, I know the layoffs in crypto haven't been as public this time around, but there I've, I've been noticing that there's been some layoffs. There's also layoffs in media protocol, which was a Politico spin out just shut down yesterday. Um, I just want to call out that we're hiring for a bunch of roles like VP of sales, VP of marketing, salespeople, front end devs, full stack devs, research analysts, branded content writers, video editors. So if you're listening to this and you have just been impacted by something or you just want to come work at crypto just feel free to dm me on twitter um and yeah i think that's it stay stuffy folks uh yeah survive survive